If I was a blackbird, I'd whistle and sing and follow the ship that my true love left in. And in the top rigging, I'd build my nest. But Frank's not a blackbird and has no need of a nest. He's on the island of Brilliant, awaiting a guest. Welcome to the Island of Brilliant. The podcast that treasures everything that's brilliant in children's books. Sorry that I ruined your blackbird dream, Frank. I feel like that was mean of me. Oh no, it was such a nice dream. I feel like that was mean of me. I get woken by a blackbird every morning. At about ten past seven every morning, mm-hmm. a crow comes and knocks on my palm tree really loud. Yeah? And very, wow. very, very punctually. And then one morning, <laughs> I woke up, ten past seven. This is completely true, right? I believe you. And it, it wasn't a crow. What was it? It was always a crow, but this morning it was a jay. Right. I just thought, like, there must be, like, a crow that's outsourced its knocker-up duties to somebody else. But how do you know it's a different bird? Maybe it was always a jay. No, it was always a crow. And then this morning it was a jay. This is a completely true wow. story, by the way. But look, my completely true story is that I have a tree outside my hammock. Yeah. And it is nested in by sparrows. So I'm woken every morning by sparrows. Oh, that's a nice sound, though. Having a little sing song, which is nice. We have lots of beautiful birds here on the island, don't we? Yeah, we do. I can never identify them, though. You know, so that there are certain things that I think make you sound like a good, intelligent person. They are being able to identify birds by their bird song, by their song. Yeah. Uh, being able to look up at the sky and go, oh, oh yeah. yes, the plough. Yeah. Oh, yes, like <laughs> constellations. <laughs> I can't do constellations. Uh, similarly... People who are, can identify wine beyond red or white. No, I can't or do that. Or rosé. They don't, mm, yeah, those oaky. Mm, I don't think that's legs. in the same category. I think that's different. Maybe it's not, because that's, not that's a, a bit pretentious. You know, it's it? not going to save you in the middle of the ocean the way known where a constellation was. Would. No. Or birdsong. Would that save you? Oh, I guess it would. Yeah. Because you could go, you could go, look, it's, um, yeah, it's what are they one. called? The look, it's the great bear. That could be the last words that you say before you're, before you drown in the That's sea. That's a really How would it great save bear. You? That's it. It's not saved us, Frank. No, we're still stuck here. It's not saved us. One jot. Stuck here still with stuck a load here. of books. Listen. And I'm stuck here waiting. Well, I've been one. reading. What? Well, I was going to tell you about some books I've been reading. Are we still doing that? Yes. <laughs> Is that still a thing? Yeah. Good. I'm glad because I've been. Can I tell you about mine? Yeah, go on. I've jumped in there. Yeah. Um, I've been I've been very feline based recently, right. uh, and I've got two picture books. One is an old picture book from of yore, and one is a modern uh, picture book. So the first picture book is called "What Can Cats Do," and it's written and illustrated by someone with a great name. Uh, his name is Abner Graboff. No, he's no longer sadly on this planet. Because this picture book was originally made in 1963. Listeners, I urge you, go online and look up the name Abner Graboff to find some fantastic illustration. Really punchy, clear, funny, uh, limited palette. One of those picture books that just makes me want to rip up all of mine and redo them all yeah. in, uh, in about three different colours. It's just so charming and so funny. I just found this by accident in a shop, so I wanted to sh- spread the love. And it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of a nonsense book. There's no great 
story in there necessarily. It's but just amazing it's pictures. used for lots of great illustrations. Yeah. And it's just loads of fun. So I recommend that. Um, but the more contemporary cat picture book is called, and this is a mood, this book is called The Cat Who Couldn't Be Bothered. Wow, that's a great by title. By someone called Jack Curland. And it is about a cat who just can't be bothered to do anything. Um, and again, I really relate to this, yeah. um, Frank, as you'll know, because you often try and get me to play with I get you to try and learn constellations, identify fine ones. Constellations. Yeah. Yeah. So in this book, various dogs are like, they're not saying, let's learn some about constellations. They're saying, come to a party, play with a ball of string. Um, but the cat's just like, no, I'll give it a miss. Can't be bothered. And we see all the other animals having a great time. There's even a cat who says, do you want to come to Mars? We'd be the first ever cat astronaut. Wow. Um, but the cat still can't be bothered. And it goes on in this vein, uh, but there's quite a nice ending. Oh, you don't, where don't the do a spoiler. Greg, the cat, I'm gripped. Well, I won't do a spoiler, but I mean, it's got a kind of... The ending surprised me. It was unexpected and quite sensitive, actually, and quite good if you maybe have know a small person who's in a real, oh, can't be bothered to do anything mood. And um, obviously there's something else that lies underneath that mood sometimes, and that's what this book gets at but ostensibly it's just really really funny and i love uh cats with grumpy expressions as some of you may know i'm i'm still buzzing about abner grabov good name isn't it abner grabov what a life that man must have had what's your name fantastic it is honestly you could see if you if you have a look um and look at his work you'll see it's that very kind of 50s 60s extremely influential look it looks utterly contemporary right but but, but that's because it's influenced so many people afterwards exactly yeah and i wonder if there's someone going around going there was an abner grabov in my class at school i wonder if it's the same one <laughs> <laughs> maybe i think this guy was from new york, new york. that's my so did you like my yeah it was very good there? what could cats do <laughs> that's probably how he said abner what are you working on <laughs> it's a book called what could cats do <laughs> Sorry, That's any American uncanny. listeners. If anyone's ever met a cat from New York, you'll oh, be like shaking your head now going, was that that New York cat? You're actually from New York, aren't you, Fran? I, I am. But you put on a kind of light, Scouse a light accent. kind of Scouse accent. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely. I kind of reading block because I've been sitting around waiting for my copy of Grimwood Attack of the Stink Monster to arrive. And oh, really, wow. I'm in a kind of restless state. But I did oh, yeah. settle down to read Kate Saunders, A Drop of Golden mm -hmm. Sun, which is about to come out. Mm -hmm. And it interested me greatly because it is about the making of a movie. Which? Well, it's kind of The Sound of Music, but not. It, but I mean, the title tells Ah, oh, of course. Right. Of course. Um, so that was very slow of me. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously Kate Saunders died last year. So this is her yeah. posthumous book. And it's really... It's really lovely. It's definitely, definitely a treat. If you're an adult and you've loved children's books, then it's brilliant like that. She wrote a book called Five Children on the Western Front, which is like an Enes bit book. Mm -hmm. So she sort of redid yes. an Enes bit book. And this is very Noel Streetfield. This is about right. Bruce Little Girls who want to be in yes. a movie and keep their hair brushed and their teeth clean and are in oh. deadly rivalry with each other until they understand each other. Oh, this sounds fantastic. Yeah, there are sort of toffee-nosed older people who know how to teach you things. And, you know, it's it's very delightful. <laughs> if you, It sounds very, very funny, actually. Yeah, it's funny. 
which is and also quite mm. sad and it's got a bit of a serious theme but it's it's okay. really 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 what it is is delightful it's really delightful Aww. and very Can very I borrow it after it's very retro yeah you'll love it thank you what now frank a I, cup of tea well i wouldn't mind a cup of tea it feels too early for cocktail hour so, <laughs> It's too you early your, for cocktail hour. You and your knowledge of fine wines and cocktails. Cocktails is another category <laughs> that I know nothing of. My cup is shaking in my saucer. Is your cup shaking in your saucer? Do you know what? Now you come to mention it, it, it does seem to be rumbling. Yeah, there's it's like a Jurassic bit of Park going vibes. On, it? Yeah, exactly. Tinkling and rumbling. Grab the biscuits, Frank. Grab the biscuits before yeah. anything happens to the biscuits. <laughs> And the steam there, there's a whole steam thing. It's almost as if the... Something is erupting from beneath the ground. Could it be a volcano? Could it be a geyser? What is it? You go and have a look. I'm What's not that? getting near it, mate. When I hear that whistle blowing... <laughs> hand on a tickety-boot. It's a flipping train. It's a Frank, flipping train. The a train. Isle of Brilliant Underground <laughs> Railway. <laughs> Who'd have thought it? Massively delayed. Massively delayed. delayed. We've been waiting for this train for about 14 months. Yeah. Hang on, it's coming to a stop. It's slowing down. It's coming to a stop. And who's this figure stepping off off in in the manner of Daddy and the Railway Children? (laughs) Swathed in steam. MG, MG Leonard, my MG. (laughs) She's here. It's me. Hello. MG Leonard. I'm waving my handkerchief at you through the steam. What do you think of my lovely A4 Pacific locomotive? Isn't it fabulous? It's absolutely amazing. Bernard Cribbins is here. Um, (laughs) He's not, God rest his soul. MG, (laughs) hello. Welcome to the Island of Brilliant. What a fantastic entrance on your underground locomotive. Well, you know me, I like to make an entrance, but I'm delighted to be here. I've always, always wanted to visit your island. I'm a big fan of islands. Oh, tell us more. Well, uh, it is a lifelong dream to one day get to go on that Radio 4 programme where they get you to choose your records on your favourite island. That's a shoo-in. And then I found out about your island, which is obviously full of glorious books, which I think might even be better. I don't want to do you down, but it's a bit easier to get on this island than that island. (laughs) (laughs) Frank's like, yeah, well, you know. (laughs) I have been Um, on Desert Island Discs and it is disappointing because you don't actually go to Desert (gasps) Island. Unlike the island of Brilliant, where you are actually here. Well, you you are actually here, that's true. Yes. But it's so, we're so delighted to have you here. We've wanted to have you on for a long time. And I need to know, because there's so much we've got to talk about. We've got to talk about trains, we have to talk about insects, we have to talk about birds. But do you know of any such underground railroads that come out in kind of desert land? <laughs> Is that a thing? There are underground railroads, yes, you can't really ride a steam locomotive through them, no. I don't think. Um, no. Honestly, I mean, the Eurostar goes under the channel. So well, of course. there you go. <laughs> of course. But in terms of, but in kind of, like, what's the oldest kind of underground railroad? Do you know? Well, all the original mi- were, the, were for the mines. Yeah. I mean, that's why they were constructed. Mining cars were the first form of locomotive at all because we needed to get what was underground above ground. And uh, I've been to the largest iron mine iron ore mine in europe which is in karuna in sweden it's northerly part right next to the ice hotel and that is quite an incredible railway construction because they're just carrying out 
these huge cars of uh, smelted iron pellets. Each car is worth millions because oh my each, goodness. yeah, because iron is such a valuable metal. Uh, so railways and mining have an intimate link. So I think it's entirely justifiable that I could erupt on your island in my yeah. train. It's not implausible at all. <laughs> we're being polite, but we're looking at this picnic basket that you've got, and we're wondering what's inside. Frankly, well. I might not be the healthiest human being on the planet. Uh, oh, God, and it's what be I insects. did. Phew. <laughs> no, well, I presume you've got insects on the island. I can Loads. plenty of. Yeah. With gypsy grub, lasagna, all yes, that stuff. Exactly. Been going on. Yeah, I'm good at eating insects. So, what I brought was I emptied the top drawer of my desk into my picnic basket and brought you what I eat when I write, which oh. unfortunately for you is not healthy. It is delicious, though. The, that's the best news ever. So I've got a selection of Haribos. So <gasps> yes. you can have Fantastics or yes. Star Mix. Because I like to eat both. Yep. <laughs> and then uh, the piece de resistance, which is what mm -hmm. I always need when I'm trying to create a manuscript and I'm just running out of steam. And those are Mars Whoa. bars. As the undertone said, it's got glucose for energy. And the chocolate's only there <laughs> to keep it the right shape. Mars bars I can only eat if they've been refrigerated. So, Fran, could you please pop some of these in oh. the Island of Brilliant refrigerator? Yes, yes, I'll do that for you. That I would do. Because then that you just kind you. of cut you cut slivers off. It's satisfying. Have I done yeah, that? Yeah, when I'm writing, I literally just put the whole thing in and just keep shovel going. the whole thing. In. Yeah. What are your favourite uh, Tanfastic and Star Mix uh, varieties? So with the Star Mix, I'm a big fried egg fan, and then mm. I will sometimes put the rings on my finger and just eat them off, like Obviously. one at a time. Yes. Yep. So that that is with Fantastics. I'm a cola bottles. Yes. Have you been to Haribo Land? I love the cola bottles. There is a Haribo Land. Yes, it's in no. Uzes in Provence, and it's kind Can of. Can we all go? But it's kind of weird because if you go to like Chocolate World in Bourneville, there's this whole mm. history of chocolate from the Aztecs and through the Quakers and the social history. Of, but like basically Haribo is a <laughs> chemical formula. <laughs> it's just like slightly different shapes and that's it. So there's like Haribo round ones and Haribo toothy what, gummy bear <laughs> ones, Haribo like inhalables <laughs> injectables that's it it's just a really inhalables i don't know where i heard it but i heard that like the american army gives their soldiers when they're on duty haribo the sugar is i mean it's intense but i do believe that roald dahl also used to eat sugar whilst writing and I I don't think anyone ever talks about how tiring it can be to write if I actually mm. have a deadline like if I'm just writing every day I just do my little bit in the morning a couple of hours and then I'm done for the day but if I have a deadline and I have to keep going mm. I can't do it without Haribo but Haribo and then afterwards I do feel sick the crash the crash <laughs> yeah, is the, the crash. crash is real I don't know how good a role model would have been here role model small model this is real life kids about, deal with it about taking exercise and Deep breathing. I say something that. else. <laughs> um, my favourite Haribo, the tan fat. No one asked, but I'm telling you all, uh, the fizzy cherries. And yes, the, they are good. Fizzy cola bottles. Um, they're the best ones. I am not surprised you get through lots of Haribo. Because you write a lot of books. You do write a lot of books. 
I You've do. got a lot of franchises going down. Yeah. <laughs> they come one after the other, like they're like trains. That is exactly right, yeah. Yeah, I did start off with Beatles just doing one book a year, but Ooh. I learned very quickly well not very quickly because it took me three years I had one book a year for three years because it was a mm. trilogy and by the time that the last book had come out all the kids who'd loved the first book had grown up gone to secondary school and were no longer reading and I was like yeah. oh they grow up really quickly and their tastes change and evolve at such a speed that actually if you want to write for them you need to produce uh, books quite quickly so I tend to plan everything mm. in advance of writing and then go at it where? So when you say you plan everything, so you know that you have, because how many books, does you do the train books with Sam Sedgman? Were there yes. six? There are six, yes. At the there minute. are six at the minute. Mm-hmm. So did you kind of sit down with Sam and go and plot out all of those books and then go for it? We sat down and we outlined the entire series before we wrote the first book wow. and we plotted 10. What? So My there word. are 10 possible adventures on trains amazing. yeah based on amazing railways but also we wanted each crime to be different so we thought of 10 different crimes on 10 different railways uh we wrote six but because of covid and and mm. the difficulties of writing with another author at that time and the grueling schedule of one every six months after the sixth one uh, we called time on it because sam has his own book which is actually just out last week i think the clockwork mm. conspiracy and up until this point he'd not published anything on his own mm-hmm. so he was getting a bit tired of being seen as like the other half of me and people mm-hmm. would often refer to trains books as being written by me right. uh, and so he wanted to write his and obviously i was writing the twitches and we are very good friends we've known each other for about 15 years and one of the things that was really important to us is that it, it didn't like jade our friendship in any way so we were like we'll call time because also the screen rights had been optioned and uh and we were like what we'll do is we'll take a break work on our solo stuff and if we're lucky enough that the screen project goes ahead we'll work on books seven and eight yes so that's our plan but yes, there's a there's a maximum of ten that we we completely wrote the synopses of back in two thousand and eighteen or seventeen. That's amazing. That. Mm. That's so cool. I'm intrigued by the concept of writing with someone else. I obviously I'm an illustrator, so I can understand illustrating someone else's work. But co-writing, how what does that look like? So a lot of fun is the answer and uh, it's a lot faster. And Frank, you'll probably know this because of screenwriting, but what Sam and I tend to do is go somewhere, usually an Airbnb, uh, somewhere rail related uh, and find a big white wall. Uh, We divide it into five acts. I always write a five act structure story and I've I've worked in theatre all my life and it's just a very natural story shape for me. Um, So we divide the wall into five acts and then we jump around getting excited about things that we think might happen on this journey or characters we might encounter. And for every idea, we slap it onto a post-it note and stick it up on the wall and move them around until we've got the shape of a story. Um, And we've got like two hard and fast rules. Uh, So we've never fallen out over anything because the first rule is nothing can go into the book unless both of us love it. So if I have an idea he doesn't like, it doesn't go in. And if he has an idea I don't like, it doesn't go in. Um, And then once we've got the whole thing plotted up on the wall and we both know uh, everything, we create a Pinterest board of characters and we cast it like a movie. So we both are describing the same people. 
Um, and obviously the route is all planned out because they're all real train routes. You can yeah. travel and we do the research or we try and do the journeys where possible. So at this point, we've both got very same ideas about what we're creating. And then one of us will write what we call the draft zero, the rubbish draft that it just is like this happens in this chapter, etc. Um, and then we relay it. So we give it back to the other one. And Sam's expertise is in obviously the, all the train detail and the route detail. Uh, but also he loves a puzzle. He loves a mystery. So he'll often work really hard on where the clues should drop so that we've got the construction of the mystery. And I'm much more about dialogue and character and the relationships and the humorous details and, and the emotion. Um, so we hand it back and forth and back and forth to the point where neither of us really knows what the other has written uh, until it's a book. Wow. That sounds fun. That sounds so fascinating. It is a lot of fun. Well, yeah, because collaborated with people, so many writers, myself included, you know, we're in our own little bubble. But the minute you sit and have a chat about it with anyone else, it comes to life. It always opens up something new. Yeah. There's always another angle you've not thought of. And it's... there's like a slightly, I mean, I've, I've never been in a writer's room. So, Frank, you probably know more about this than I do. But like, if one of you has an idea that is like the beginning of an idea and the other one goes, oh, yes, that, but what if? And then you add extra on and then then you're like, oh, yeah, that. And then and then you put some more icing on the top and then you get this escalation of ideas and it happens very fast. So the germ of the idea that you have on your own suddenly becomes something really fireworky and fizzy. But when you're sitting on your own, writing your book on your own, you have the germ of the idea and you stare at it thinking, grow god damn you turn into something <laughs> magnificent and it's slow and sometimes painful and you're not objective and you can't tell if it's any good but if there's another person in the room and they're like no that's horrid let's not yeah, have that yeah. it's gone before you, you so i really enjoy that process that i think those books have an energy because it's collaborative yeah, and you do really and uh, yeah i think that's a unique thing about collaborating with someone i think i couldn't collaborate with anyone no but i definitely love writing with sam yeah, yeah. It's obviously a unique chemistry that you guys have that enables it. That's quite an intimate process as well, isn't mm. it? And yeah. you have to not be precious and all that kind of thing. Have yeah. you? So you said that you've done some of the train journeys, which yes. is kind of the best ones that you've done. There's, I've got two that I loved. We did the journey in Danger at Dead Man's Pass, which um, in the story, Hal is from Crewe. And so he travels down to London and then he goes on the Eurostar to Paris. Um, mm-hmm. And so Sam and I did this from London, Eurostar to Paris. Then he gets a sleeper train from Paris to Berlin. So we got the night jet from Paris to Berlin. And then a train in to Wernigrode uh, in the Hearts Mountains and then there's this incredible narrow gauge uh, steam railway it's the last timetable steam railway in the whole of Europe called the Brockenbahn which goes up into the mountains and it's just the most incredible journey and we did that in the January before Covid shut mm. us all down and that journey saved me when we couldn't go anywhere because I'd literally just done the most incredible journey I've never gone that far before without taking an aeroplane I didn't realize a how easy it was how beautiful it was I loved it that was magnificent however best sleeper train I've ever been on was the one in Sweden their sleeper trains are amazing so yeah we went we flew to Stockholm and took the train up to Keruna where the mine is and then uh stayed in the ice hotel not in the freezy rooms because i don't like cold and then went over the mountains uh, to norway to the northernmost train station in the whole of europe in narvik 
and Swedish sleeper trains. I mean, the bunks are wide and long. They don't have gaps in their rails. So in England, we uh, our rails are soldered together. So when a train goes over the rails, yeah. every time you have the gudum, 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 it's because mm -hmm. they're soldered together. But in Sweden, they have such extreme temperatures from very cold to warm. Uh, so they have tiny gaps between their rails so that the rails can expand and contract with the weather. Uh, so there's no solder. So the train just slides and you don't wake up in the middle of the night. Wow. And it's it was and the food was fantastic. I mean, I really, really recommend. I want to go right now. Yeah, it's it's a joy that journey to go up to the Arctic and see snow is it was beautiful. Oh, so yeah. so how long is that journey? If you stop off at Karuna for a night, which we did, uh, so you spend one night on the train uh, and then we got off, went on the hotel and then did the last bit of the journey because we were doing research for the book. But you can do it in two nights if you just do the whole journey and don't get off at a hotel. Right. But it was lovely. And we had to we had a slight detour because there was an avalanche which made it into <gasps> the story. And it was like, oh, it was fabulous. Oh, my God, right. that sounds like a dream. It yeah. was lovely. So do you want to know my sleeping experience? Oh, yes. So we got married when we were students and we thought it would be phenomenally romantic to get the sleeper train to the Highlands and didn't realise that you had to book. So we turned oh. up, she in her boned taffeta dress and me in my tonic mohair modelly suit and said, can we have a sleep, please? And he went, have you booked? And we went, no. He said, we can sit in the bar then. So we sat in the bar from... London to Fort William, which I think is like wow. three days. Three, it was a long time. And you're still married. <laughs> we were just too tired to divorce. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you were in a bar for three days. Yeah, it just seemed to take a long time. It was, it was very long time. It's like 14 hours or something, isn't it? It's insane the, yeah, how it long is. it takes to get to Fort, Fort William. I just remember that the, the other people in the bar were Royal Electrical Mechanical Engineers. We tried to win our honeymoon money offers in a game of cards. <laughs> Fools. Um, I remember them getting off at Glasgow going, so you're halfway now. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Oh, anyway, so they I go. don't have a fun sleeper train story because I've never been on a sleeper train. This was not a fun story, Nadia. This was well, me a fun my story. Salty. It yeah. wasn't a fun experience. But listen, so that sounds so <laughs> joyous the way you write. But the Twitch's books are not. They're just you solo, aren't they? Yes, that's just Are me. they just as much fun? Yes. Well, because it's that thing. I, I like to have lots of projects on the go because uh, when I get frustrated with one, I can turn around and do the other. So if I was ever getting kind of like, oh, you know, working on a collaborative project, wanting to go off and really go hard into my lonesome because I'm quite introverted. Twitch was like my kind of secret solo world that I was creating and they, they kind of balanced each other out. Um, and I, I'm very research, that's the thing about writing books that I love the most is the yeah, learning process that you go through at the beginning. Yeah. And I, I lent so hard into learning about birds and I think it will give me joy for the rest of my life. Like it's, writing these books has been a gift for me because of just how much there is to learn about birds in the natural world. And they're literally just outside your window. And the more you know, the more connected you feel. Yeah, it's, I love it. So, um, Did you have that passion and interest before you started? No. Or is that something? So, so you've literally, like, you've, you've done your homework and that's created now this passion for birds. Yeah, so when I was taking the Beetle books around to festivals and meeting children, what I noticed was, because, you know, insects can be quite a hard sell 
a mm -hmm. large portion of the population does not see the point in them or like them at all. And so you're often trying to persuade people who don't like bugs, not only to like them, but then to read a story, to put them in their imagination, which people are resistant to. And a lot of the kids that picked up the Beetle Boy books and loved them were bird watchers, because any bird watcher knows the insects are, they're yes. like 96% of birds on the planet eat bugs, right? So if we have no bugs, we'll have no birds. So yeah. the children who liked Beetle Boy, who warmed to it without any persuasion whatsoever, were bird watchers. And quite often they would say to me, please, could you write a book about a bird watcher? And I really mm. didn't think that I could, because I'm a bug hunter, you know, I literally walk around poking cowpats with sticks to see if there's any good bugs in there. And um, I'd never really, turned my eyes to the skies uh, so it wasn't something that I automatically did or knew anything about it was it was just the number of requests I got from children made me think well there isn't anything out there for these readers there are quite a lot of beautiful books about actual birds not about yeah. bird watchers but uh, like a particular species of bird but they're often tragic they often are about grief or about death or extinction and they're they're emotionally hardcore. There wasn't anything joyous or celebratory or just fun. Uh, yeah. And I realised, oh, like I can write that kind of book, but I don't know if I can learn about birds. Uh, and so I got some binoculars and uh, I started. And, and that was just before lockdown, like six months before lockdown. So during lockdown, I went bird crazy. Uh, yeah. And it was, that was also another thing that saved me during lockdown was the birds. If, if anyone, if our listeners aren't familiar with the, the Twitcher, we call them the Twitcher series, right? Yes. And the fourth, we should say the fourth book has just come out. It's just landed. Um, yeah. It's just landed. It's really great. Um, how would you explain, how would you explain the Twitcher series to so someone this, who hadn't read it? The Twitcher series is a seasonal quartet. So it takes place over one 12 month period. Uh, and the reason why I wanted it to be a quartet is because if you're a bird watcher in each season of the year, you get a very different experience. So the first book, Twitch, takes place in the summer holiday. They're all standalone detective adventures, so you can read them in any order. They have the denouement at the end of each book. The crime is solved. Uh, but in the first book, there's an escaped bank robber um, that has uh, is hiding out in the woods where our hero, Twitch, wants to spend his summer holidays watching birds. And of course, it's then full of dogs and helicopters and people looking for the missing loot and all the drama. And he must turn his bird watching skills into detective skills to solve the problem and make all the people go away so he can be with the birds. <laughs> um, Spark is set in the autumn Halloween half term. So we've got lots of spookiness in that one. And that one celebrates a bird called the Lammergeier, which is an endangered species of bearded vulture uh, and uh, has a lot of uh, kind of zombie references. And is uh, it starts off because somebody is taking pot shots at the local cats with an air pistol. Um, and so the Twitchers decide to go and sort, sort out the crime, find out who's doing this. Clutch takes place in springtime in the Easter holiday when birds have migrated back to this country and they are singing the dawn chorus and they are building nests and laying eggs. And that's all about an evil egg thief who's snatching uh, wild birds eggs, which is illegal. And then Feather, the fourth and final uh, part of the quartet is a winter adventure. And this is a museum heist based on a true crime. Mm. And that's the one that's just come out. Yeah, the best true crime story ever. It's so good. Yes. I mean, I, I think everyone who knew that story wanted to do something with it. The Feather High story. So I'll tell you the story. Okay, so every year when I was growing up, like every single year without exception, 
we went on holiday to the same place. So I'd literally been to two places both in the world by the time I was 19. <laughs> and this was like a little valley just beside Conglochran. So when my parents died a couple of years ago, I went and scattered their ashes there. And the two guys fly fishing in the river. And I just asked them a couple of questions about flies, thinking I would sound like someone who knew about fly fishing, but just really just liking to talk to people. And they just went, have you just read The Feather Heist? I went, yes, I have just read The Feather Heist. <laughs> so we talked about The Feather Heist and how amazing that story is. And you've really done it justice it's, in the book. You oh, know. thank you. Because, well, that's the other thing. I grew up near Tring. So uh, I was, I kind of knew the area. We should fill in the background, shouldn't we? I was going to say, can I, I, I'm not familiar with the Feather Heist. So for the sake of me and any other listeners, explain. So the Feather Heist is this complete, Tring is, there's a, it's an, like an annex to the Natural History Museum. And in there mm-hmm. is housed in drawers, very unglamorously, mm-hmm. the, a collection of bird skins. These are dead birds with their feathers intact that were collected by Alfred Russell Wallace who everybody, if you know about him, you feel sad for him because he's the guy who came up with evolution and wrote to Darwin and went, do you know what, maybe this thing. And Darwin <gasps> went, well, yeah, yeah, okay, and he rushed into print. And after, you know, so Darwin was a tough, and after for us, Wallace was like dying <laughs> in the Malay Peninsula of all kinds of horrible diseases, but was very, very generous. And, and actually Darwin was generous as well. But you always feel like it's the guy who missed out on being the most famous scientist in the world. And, it, and unglamorously, his collection of bird skins is housed in Trink. And they were stolen with the labels and everything. So they, they just disappeared, like hundreds of them just disappeared. And it wasn't even noticed for ages because they were sat housed so unglamorously. And it was such a straightforward robbery. But why would anyone steal them is the puzzle. And I don't know whether we should go into that because it's sort of a giveaway about the book. Well, one of the things that I had to decide was how much of the true crime I'd keep and how much I would... Yeah fictionalized because obviously if you know the true crime uh and i don't this is not a spoiler for my story but the the crazy thing about the feather heist for me as a children's author was the person who perpetuated the crime was a 19 year old american flute player who was in england because he was at the royal academy of music and he stole the feathers to sell them because he wanted to buy himself a solid gold flute like james Goldway. what a crazy motive yeah. So like, yeah. As a crime motivation, I want to be like James Galway is weird, isn't it? Yeah. But also, who's going to buy these feathers? Right. So that's not a part of your mystery. <laughs> oh, so I, I don't think we can say that, can we? Who buys it? Okay. No, because like the thing is, is you don't think that they're worth money. They're worth fortune. Like rationally, you think, well, why would anyone want to steal dead birds? That's weird, yeah. uh, unless you know. Uh, about this certain cult of people that pay okay. a lot of money for, and of course these birds are protected. If you know the ones that are well, a lot of them are extinct. Yeah, so some of them are extinct, but the ones that do exist, they're in a protected island that you literally can't land on. Right, it's wow. so protected. So getting those feathers from a real live bird is practically impossible, but yeah. stealing them from a, a, a low security history natural history museum much easier uh, but the thing that it really turned out took... you needed a set of glass cutters that's it yeah and a suitcase but uh, yeah. the thing that um really appealed to me was because obviously once i started writing about bird watching people now send me everything and anything to do with birds <laughs> but the thing that really captured my imagination was that the crime was committed by i still think of a 19 year old as a kid i don't think of them as a yeah, grown-up but like true. it was a kid 
Mm. Uh, you know, and that I thought was really interesting. This, and I also knew I wanted an indoor crime for Feather because it's winter, and I just didn't want my poor Twitch's children to be like trying to solve crimes in freezing cold outdoor weather. <laughs> so that was the the last book then. In Feather's the last book in the yeah. Twitch series. So yes, good. I I like the idea that it's it's contained in that shape of four seasons because. One of the things I realised at the beginning when the kids were asking me if I could write about a bird watcher is that everything that you have and you need to be a bird watcher, they are exactly the same things that you need to have if you want to be a detective. So like a bird watcher is going to have a camera, binoculars, a notebook, a pencil. They're going to be patient. They're going to be observant. They're going to be good at listening. They're going to be stealthy. They're going to wear camouflage coloured clothes to blend in with the background. If you have all of that stuff... I mean, that's what a detective needs, right? A notebook mm-hmm. and pen. and like they're, they're completely in utter... You can put an equal sign between the two skill sets mm-hmm. and you realise, oh, kids who are great bird watchers would make great detectives. And so I like the idea of doing that, but I wanted to frame it within a year because kids grow up so quickly as well. And I yeah. wanted to show that, that experience of bird watching over an entire year, over the four seasons, mm-hmm. um, and the kind of things that you can expect. So in each book a different type of bird is celebrated. So in Feather, uh, I celebrate corvids because like corvids are around us all year round. And for those who don't know, corvid uh, is the family of birds that contains a crow, a raven, a jay, a magpie, a rook. And uh, they're very, very clever birds. Then they're around us all the time, but in winter, because all the birds of the songbirds have migrated in autumn. Mm-hmm. We have a lot fewer birds visible in winter. It's a very good time mm-hmm. of year to start bird watching so you can build your foundation knowledge. But that's when you're going to see your murder of crows is winter. Corvids are very visible in winter. And so in this book, there is an extraordinary raven called Caliban, who's the star <gasps> bird. Oh, how exciting. I have a soft spot for crows and ravens myself. Yeah. Um, I have a, a party crow in Grimwood. Yeah, great. I fear that my uh, the birds depicted in Grimwood it's maybe quite not as much research goes into my books <laughs> I don't know I think you're very very accurate about crows Dickens had a pet raven didn't he Dickens had a yes. pet raven called Grip yes there you go oh Dickens man he was such it a goth so Mozart had a pet starling Dickens yeah. had a pet raven and Charles Darwin used to raise pigeons I'm yes. really into people and their birds yeah I can this is fascinating so do you think um well, you're such a planner as well that I suspect you've got the next eight books uh, planned already in terms of yeah. what you're going to be doing. Are we allowed to ask? <laughs> oh Are you God. allowed to tell us? You or can, can you just make noises? Can we can ask, noises. but you're not going to tell. Yeah. Everything okay. that I'm doing has not been released. Uh, okay. So, uh, I am oh. producing a new series uh, for Macmillan of which the first book is written and the second book is being planned mm. and I'm not allowed to talk about it. Oh, uh, and dude. I'm also doing this other project which I can't really talk about other than to say that I'm currently researching otters and they are giving Ooh. me so much joy. Are you going to go otter watching? I'm going to go otter hunting. Do? There's a lovely chap called David Oakes who's got a podcast, a nature podcast. Uh, and he and I are going to go otter hunting. The problem with otter hunting is that um, you have to do it at night because otters are mostly right. nocturnal. And mm-hmm. on that note, I just was rereading Tark of the Otter. I don't know if mm-hmm. either of yeah, you have yeah. ever read Tark of the that book is brutal, man. I don't remember it Intense, being so it? brutal. Tark of the Rotter, I call it. I just read a bit where a badger savaged and ate a hedgehog and I, I was quite right. taken aback. I'm not sure that young people would 
cope with reading Tarka the Otter now. But um, so I had a so, yeah, Grimwood, right now. I had a, quite a Grimwood moment with otters that I went to, up to the Wood of Cree because I was told there were loads of otters there. And at a painfully early hour of the morning, didn't see a blinking thing. Went my way back, <laughs> got to Dumfries, stood at the bus stop. And the bus stop at Dumfries is next to the River Nip. And at the bus stop, there were like three otters just sort of sitting around. <laughs> like, you know, I, I hear there's people playing otter like activity up in the woods, but like. I'd rather sit here. Were they standing on each other's shoulders and were they wearing one big overcoat and did they try and get on the bus? They were literally just lolling. <laughs> they were like, just laughing at oh, me. That's amazing. They were like, look at this guy. They're only, I was going to say they're only human. They're only otters. They're only otters. What do you expect? Do I hear a whistle blowing? Do you? I yeah, don't know. Was yeah. that the kettle? <laughs> oh no, it's the train. Oh, I see what you're doing. <laughs> I see what you do. Before you board that train, MG... Um, please, can we ask, what have you been... Re- well, you've told us you've been reading Tarka the Otter recently. Yes. But do you have any other books you'd like to leave with us on the island? Oh, I did just read The Secret of the Moonshard by Struan Murray that comes out. I believe that comes out 1st of March, actually. So, World Book Week. Oh, wow. Um, Fantastic. And that is... It's a fantasy. It's magical. It's extraordinary. He's got a beautiful turn of phrase, but like it mm-hmm. is a world of magic that is just a joy... So I heartily recommend that for an escape. Oh, well, also thank you for mentioning World Book Week, because this, I think, if all goes to plan, this pod should be coming out before World Book Day. So we should say happy World Book Day from the Island of Brilliant. But yeah. how do you find that, MG? Do you, so are you very busy on World Book Week? I'm guessing oh, yes. you are. Yeah, my train pulls into many stations on World Book Week. Uh, and <laughs> I uh, yeah, I love I love World Book Week. Uh, it's tiring, but it's absolutely mm. joyous. Um, and so, yes, I will be going up and down the country visiting schools for the next week, bringing uh, a whole suitcase full of birds, beetles and trains to really. Uh, oh, my goodness. What do you what do your um, kind of performances entail? Like, do you read, do you chat? Do you have a special outfit? <laughs> I do. So I do have special outfits because uh, obviously M.G. Leonard is my mm. author persona. It's my pen name. My real name in my passport is Maya Gabrielle. And uh, they're two very different personas. So I love to be colourful when I'm talking to children. And I want to look as approachable as possible because some mm-hmm. children are very shy and they really want to talk to you. But they just can't get up the courage. And I've found that like if you turn up and you look very grown up, they they stay back but I've got like brightly coloured rainbow leg warmers that I always wear um, and all the kids love them uh, Steve Lenton's always mocking me mercilessly for my rainbow leg warmers um, he's just jealous <laughs> I usually have a themed uh, jumper so I've got some incredibly colourful bird jumpers or beetle jumpers or train jumpers uh, and then I always wear trousers that I can jump around in because uh, when you're talking to children uh, I think it's important to be as entertaining and energetic and excitable as possible because you really want to enthuse them about the magic of reading Uh, and Mm -hmm. you know not everyone uh, in that assembly hall is going to have an automatic love of books I write the kinds of books that I write because my sons were 
reluctant readers. And I really mm-hmm. want to entice children into experiencing the wonder of a story, even if they feel mm-hmm. like it's not for them. So mm-hmm. uh, I try very hard uh, to be as uh, celebratory and as exciting as possible. And that usually means dressing very brightly coloured uh, and being high energy. So when I get home, I just wear grey and go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but it's so interesting because you're right, as, as adults going into schools and we're not teachers, and we're not in that moment. We're not acting, we're not parents either. We're, we're something else. So it's something I struggle with figuring out how I'm meant to look. Um, yeah. Well, brightly colours good because my oldest son, when he was little, he was so shy. I mean, you know, he really loved Liz Pichon's Tom Gates books, and I met yeah. Liz, and I was like, oh my son loves your books we like let me introduce you and I brought him and he just stood there and stared at her and bless her she tried so Aww. hard to give him an opportunity to talk to her she asked him he just couldn't speak so whenever yeah. I meet children who are tongue-tied like that I, I just think of my own son like I know that they desperately want to talk to me and feel like they've had an exchange so I always make sure I look every child in the eyes uh, and yes, I try that's and, important yeah and I try and just be as accessible as possible uh, which I don't do for the rest of my life <laughs> <laughs> the rest of your life you're closed but yeah. Frank I know we're on the island but we do have special dispensation on World Book Week I think Are you, have you got a busy one yeah I'm doing Ooh. quite a few work dates in Ireland and, and your school Wales. visits are quite miserable by contrast they're aren't they? very you know I just stand there saying you know planet's dying we're all dying <laughs> what can you do yeah. you know <laughs> now let's do some fractions i yeah. do i do <laughs> yeah i do lots of magic tricks i do magic tricks now i realize that i would now concentrate so hard on doing the magic tricks that i completely forget that i'm supposed to be there for most in reading so i'll be like i'll have come without my powerpoint presentation or without my books but i've definitely got my <laughs> <laughs> three decks and gimmick cards well listen i have to say everyone that frank and i recently we were launching the brighton festival and uh so we were allowed off the island and um frank did a magic trick and it was an impressive magic trick it is an impressive it was a trick. proper trick i was i was baffled i was yeah. legitimately baffled should we also maybe mention that we are being given special dispensation to leave the island and do an event at the Brighton Festival, yes. which is a live recording of the Island of Brilliant, featuring the one and only Julia Donaldson. <gasps> wow. Yes. How amazing is that going to be? We're really excited. So it's going to yeah. be really exciting. Um, so I guess if you guys find Island of Brilliant on social media, you could maybe send us questions if you have yeah, any. Yeah, that's a great That'd idea. really useful because I don't know what to ask her. Beyond why have you agreed to do this podcast? (laughs) How did she come up with the name for the Gruffalo? Because the Gruffalo is such a wonderful word. That's what I would want to know. That's such a good question because the Gruffalo is a word that feels like it has always existed. Yeah. I think she spent a long time working with that. Yeah. So I want to know about that. that If you could ask her that from me, I'd be very grateful because I think the Gruffalo is genius. I'm writing that down now. Question number one. I'm curious, Frank, where did you learn your magic tricks? Well, there's a magician who lives nearby who gave me lessons Ah. called Robbie Danson. It's handy. The emotional thing is that I I hired him to come to a birthday party for my mum and she loved it and she was carrying a lot, uh, she had a lot to deal with my mum and she was like a little child when she was watching those magic tricks. It was amazing. And she died about two weeks later. So it's always been a kind of big thing for me and I was sad. So I just thought, how can I get the magic back? I'll go and and some actual magic and so it's really have great having Robbie do it so he taught you the guy who did the show yeah yeah for your mum yeah I because 
in Kidnap on the California Comet, yeah. there's magic tricks. Hadley, one of the kids, is a magician. And so I watched a load of masterclasses with Penn and Teller, and I tried oh, to yeah. learn how to do the French drop. And... <laughs> And then I decided not to do it in school events because my kids gave me such harsh criticism. They were like, we can see oh. what you're doing. You're rubbish. And like, oh, no. doing magic is hard. It is like, so I, I, have you done a lot of practice? Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the only secret, isn't it? It's, it's training your fingers to do things that they wouldn't normally do. So it's just got to be just do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. But it's really high risk as well. And there's no comeback. You, if you mess up, you've messed up and you look like an idiot. And there's no way to gain your prestige back. <laughs> So yesterday I did one in a school, oh um, which really relies strongly on misdirection and on them not looking somewhere. And halfway through the session, this kid went, what's that over there? Like, I can't <laughs> do it. So I just had to not do it, you know? So it's very oh, high no. risk. Especially in front of children, because they are looking, they, they, they don't They're care about the trick. You. What they want to do is they want to catch you. That's right. That's why I decided I would not be doing magic. Everyone who watches a magic trick is trying to catch you up. They're trying to see what's happening. Yeah. MG, well, your train has pulled back into the station. Yeah, I've refilled the tender with water from the uh, stream in your beautiful island, and I must steam off into the sunset. Would you like to take some tropical fruits <gasps> um, or maybe some, some chocolate bars from our Island of Brilliant chocolate uh, gardening patch? We, we've got a Mars bar area here, if you yeah, like It's got some. a fenced off Mars bar area. I do have a menagerie of insects at mm-hmm. home. Do you have any bonkers beetles on your island that I could add to my personal zoo and take home with me because that would be glorious. Uh, which, Fran, if you just rummage around in your laundry basket, yeah, could you find MG some strange in insects? Because yeah, that's where they'll be. The, that, the one, the, the woodlouse that is in uh, the Grimwood books is here. Oh. Eric? Yeah. Eric Dynamite? Yeah. He follows me everywhere. You're going to let me take Eric Dynamite home with me? That sounds amazing. Sure. Sure. <laughs> He's making my life hell. Please take Eric Dynamite with you. I'm only joking, listeners. I, I love Eric. Can Daniel. I have a copy of Attack of the Stink Monster, please? Because I've heard it's rather oh, funny. Wow, MG, I never asked you to say that. Really? Did yeah. you just, you genuinely just want a copy of Grimm oh, I love it. Attack I love of a... the Stink Monster Absolutely. out now? Wow. I'll read it on my steam out train. Now. I love to read on a well, train. Go on then. Here you go. Thank Here you, you go. so much. Come on, Eric. You thank and me. you. <laughs> thank you so much for visiting, MG. Cannot wait to read whatever's next. Thank you so much. I wave my hanky at you as Eric and I disappear into our locomotive. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye, Eric. Bye. Bye. Oh, that was rather lovely, wasn't it, Frank? I feel like my brain has expanded. It was lovely and it was brain expanding. And it's also like, oh, I've been doing it wrong all these years. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Why have we not been collaborating? Why have we not been I collaborating? Mean, not, not with each other, because I no, think no, that, that would be a disaster. Would be yeah, but like, that would be awful. Yeah, but why not plan things? <laughs> Instead of getting up, this other thing, oh, I don't know what's going on. I happen. know. This whole planning thing sounds revolutionary yeah, to me. I'm going to give it a yeah, whirl. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Oh, dear. I'm not sure we're cut out for this, Frank. No, I remember this going to see the very first Teardrop Explodes gig, and I was in a band at the time. Lots, everyone in Liverpool was in a band at the time. And they got up and they played and they were like really tight. And I remember thinking, oh, you're supposed to practice. <laughs> you're supposed to practice before you go oh, out. Oh, that's what's wrong. Effort <laughs> is required. Yeah. If you think about things and work really hard, oh. things happen. Right. No, come on. Let's not end this on a downbeat note, no, Frank. Let's, let's pick not, up the we shell. can't. The shell not on World Book Week. Up. Let's pick up the shell to Drabel. Oh, yes. Let's ring Drabel on the shell. Drabel. <laughs> Apologies to Emily Drabble from Book Trust there. Happy March, Nadia and Frank. 
I've been reading so much as a Branford Bowes judge and two of my recommendations are from the phenomenal long list and I wish I could talk about them all. And I'll be sending these five amazing books over to you by Hot Air Balloon very soon. I hope you get them. So I'll start with Steady for This by Nathaniel Lesore, published by Hotkey. This book grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and it just wouldn't let me go. I don't think I've ever laughed out loud so much when reading a book including on the tube. So Sean, MC Growls Thompson, is a 13-year-old living in Peckham, where I also live, and the author has my neighbourhood so right. Well, Sean is a rapper, but a sensitive poet type of rapper, and one who seems to attract terribly embarrassing things happening to him, and oh my goodness, the most embarrassing things. His heroic single-parent mother is struggling with the threat of the family being evicted from their flat, so can he re win raptology and save the day? What, what really struck me was the reality of living in poverty is so brilliantly described, but in a real way. So anyone living in poverty would relate and they would feel so welcome to this book. I think that's extremely rare, especially in such a funny and exciting book. And it's also romantic and it's also tear jerking too. So everyone just read it, please. Now I want to tell you about Last Girl In by Cheryl Diane Parkinson. It's published by Dinosaur Books. It's a story of Carrie Ann, a cricket-mad Londoner of Jamaican heritage who has been totally inspired by her lovely cricket-obsessed grandpa, CB. We get to know her grandpa and her nana very well, both in the present and in 1950s England, as this is a time-slip adventure with serious Back to the Future vibes. Um, I think it will spark a lot of historical questions and I particularly like the fact that the Jamaican patois is left in, not edited out. It's very funny, it's very well written and I don't like cricket or love it, but reading this made me feel more warm to the sport and I think if any children do like cricket, then they would totally love this book. Big Bad Dragon Club by Beach, published by Simon & Schuster, is the story of three wicked dragons, Scorch, Grub and Fang. They are stomping around doing bad dragon stuff, such as smashing up cute little bunny picnics. But Scorch is not quite so bad. He actually wouldn't mind being a chef, whereas Grub does actually enjoy playing with children. So Fang is left being bad on his own, but what's the funny in that? So the story is told in super rhyming style and it is fabulous to read out loud. And it's especially inviting somehow to do the funny voices. It just works. And like the very best picture books, there are all sorts of mini stories being told in the illustrations to talk about. It's very entertaining indeed. Highly recommend it. Now I want to tell you about Green, the story of plant life in our planet by Nicola Davis and Emily Sutton, published by Walker. What a lovely picture book which tells us so much about plants and how they work and evolved in the most delightful, exciting manner and with the most gorgeous illustrations by Emily Sutton. It's as warm as the loveliest story and yet it's non-fiction. Clever. It's just so hard to write like this. So it's great for a curious seven-year-old. It's great for someone doing the GCSEs <laughs> to actually get photosynthesis and global heating properly in their heads too and an adult who forgets exactly how it all works. And for everyone to know, green is the most important colour in the world. So, um, happy reading, everyone.
Well, thank you very much, Emily Drabble from Book Trust for those fantastic recommendations. I will be adding them to my pile. And um, I guess all that remains for us to say is a great big thank you to our wonderful guest, M.G. Leonard. Frank, do you want to thank anyone? I'm trying to thank <laughs> our fabulous producer, the thematically named Jeff the Bird Bird. Jeff Birdo Bird, we thank you. And I'm also going to uh, And also... We're going to try and pronounce the name of the greatest ukulele band in the history of the world. That's the ukulele... Oof. I think you've done it. Frank has Thank finally so pronounced much. the name of the ukulele of trio correctly for the first time in a year. Round of applause for Frank. Thank you so much if you've somehow uh, listened all the way through. And we will be back with you very, very soon. But for now, bye bye. Thank you, MG. You're very intimidating. Bye.